Welcome to TechSuite, your go-to source for the latest legal updates on the fastest-moving sector. Brought to you by Minter Ellis and Rudd Watts. I'm your host, Tom Marsland, a partner in our technology team. And today I'm joined by Matt Ensor, co-founder of Frankly AI and also business lead transport at Becker. In today's podcast, we'll be doing a deep dive into generative AI, looking at the foundations of the technology, some of the key terms used when referring to it, and some of the players. Before we begin, please note that nothing we are discussing today is legal advice. So Matt, welcome to TechSuite. Tell us a bit about yourself and your experience in the area of AI. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I mean, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to speak to everyone today. My, um, my passion has always been the intersection of uh, technology and society. Uh, mm. And so that's why I got into transport originally, um, it was all around uh, those two things. Uh, and back in 2018, I had a bit of time to think about you know, what I wanted to do and uh, what new services that Becca could offer. And uh, I discovered this thing called uh, Natural Language Processing AI, which uh, today sounds pretty obvious, but back <laughs> then, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't well developed at all. But the more I looked into the technology, I thought, wow, Actually, this is going to change the face of business uh, and you know, potentially the face of the world. And mm. so, 2018, I got involved in that, uh, and uh, uh, the journey's kind of unfolded. Fast forward five years, and and frankly, AI was born. Yeah, well, we were started in uh, 20, uh, 2020, mm-hmm. uh, so um, just after COVID, actually. So um, uh, it was great. Uh, I guess we had an online start uh, rather than meeting in person. But we've been working um, with generative AI uh, only for, probably for the last two years, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's really when um, frankly AI started to take off. And your background knowledge of of the sort of technology that underpins AI is that was that born out of passion, out of a, a, a inherent yeah. youth? I mean, I mean, the history of AI is uh, you know when I graduated, you you do a PhD uh, in AI. Uh, and yeah. it would all be theoretical. Yeah. There just wasn't the computing power um, to do anything uh, relatively useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I started in 2018, it was just the beginning of um, you know, AI being available to non-coders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to code, never have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I think the great thing is, um, for me, is that you know, if you understand how people think, uh, understand how the world works, then, then AI is a, is a, is a marvellous tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, I guess, the passion for me. Well, let's uh, dive into some questions and and because uh, we've, we've got a f- few bits we really want to cover off today. But let's start with ChatGPT and, and and it first hit the headlines at the end of 2022 and AI and its generative capabilities exploded into public consciousness. Every hour, let alone every day or month, web and mobile enabled apps are being developed and released and they're absolutely capturing the public's attention like never before. When I first heard of it, and I remember where I was when I heard my first podcast on it, it was that momentous for me. One of the first questions I asked was, what is generative AI and how is it different from other forms of AI? Can you break it down for us? Yeah, I mean, AI goes back about 75 years um, and the origins were you know, designing uh, a system that you didn't have to hard code uh, all the answers into. But neural networks were, um, were relatively later, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I guess in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and Jeff Hinton, who's, um, who's famous at the moment for his view on uh, generative AI, uh, you know, he's regarded somewhat as the godfather of, of neural networks. But again, the processing power didn't really let you do much uh, with neural networks until probably uh, about a decade ago. Mm. Um, and uh, and so that's what 
I suppose you again, it was the, was the birth of, um, of, of generative AI so that you could feed in a lot of information mm. uh, to an AI model uh, and it would store it uh, and process it uh, under, you know, in a way very similar to, um, to how humans do, um, very different from the old kind of uh, coding model. Interesting. And, and if we just break AI and generative AI down a bit, are you able to talk, and certainly I can't being a lawyer, are you able to talk perhaps to more of the technology behind it and break down sort of AI, machine learning, deep learning, those sort of subsets upon subsets? Are you able to help us just with that understanding that a bit yeah, more? Yeah, so machine learning is probably what most people thought about um, with, with AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that you typically you'll train it uh, on a specific uh, specific task. Mm-hmm. Um, so the example is, you know, you show a thousand pictures of cats. Yep. Uh, and sure, it'll be able to understand cats and and so most people thought of the future of AI as kind of an extension of that. Mm. Uh, I was told up until you know, a year ago uh, that 2035 uh, was the year when there'll be sufficient processing power uh, for that machine learning type of model to mimic uh, the human human capabilities. Right. Uh, and what's happened um, is that I guess neural networks um, have arrived. Uh, and, and, and they sort of have a deep, more of a deep learning approach. Mm. Uh, and so this is, the, again, uh, more mimicking the way the human brain uh, human brain works. Yep. So if we say machine learning, and, and I love the, the cat analogy because it's always the one I turn to as well, it's the picture you've, you always see of the, the grid lines and the piece of the, of the the top of the cat, the ears of the cat, and then the whiskers and the nose, and, and it learns by a tiny little bits of the cat all sort of shaved into tiny bits. When you get to, to deep learning, is that taking that sort of machine learning line by line process and, and going into a brain type uh, approach? With the cats, you kind of you kind of know what it's doing. Uh, you might not exactly know what it's doing, but you kind of get an idea. Um, with, with large language models, it's very much uh, a, a, a black box. So you uh, you train it, you get it to read lots and lots and lots of material. Yep, uh, and and. At a very simple level, uh, it just relates uh, one word to the, pre- the word before it, um, and so it builds up a very uh, a very complex matrix of statistics mm. uh, that relate words to each other. Some people have described it as you know autocomplete uh, of yeah. steroids, yeah. Uh, and, in, and in many ways, that's what we thought it would be. And we never thought large language models would have these sort of what we call emergent capabilities that they have now. We, we thought they'd just be great at answering questions and <laughs> being eloquent uh, and those sort of things. So so this whole realm of you know, understanding the world and how people think and those sort of things you know, wasn't expected. You mentioned large language models, and when I first heard the term back in November 2022, I thought large language models was the, the data that it was being trained on rather than the machine itself. Clearly, that's not the case now. And can you just give a bit of a, of an understanding as you as you have of it to what is a large language model? Yeah, so large language models are effectively the the, the, the model that's created from bringing together uh, lots and lots of text. And so, um, ChatGPT, for example, has one hundred and seventy five billion parameters. Mm. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of information in there. Uh, and, and again, building up these relationships uh, be- between words. I think one of the one of the keys to large language models is their ability to uh, communicate uh, without code. Um, so to use a large language model, you can just talk to it like a like a human, mm. uh, and that that didn't exist a few years ago. I mean, and, and frankly, AI 
I can still remember trying to get AI to summarize uh, a piece of text and I had to get the data scientists to write some code <laughs> uh, and it didn't work very well. Um, and you know, I, I had no ability to, to improve it. Uh, whereas for a large language model, I don't need to know anything about uh, you know, the process it goes through. I just say, hey, can you summarize this text and you know, make it exuberant? And, and it does it, and it does it amazingly well. A popular misconception, I believe, is that ChatGPT was quote unquote trained on the internet, but that's not yeah. true. It wasn't let free over the, all the data right. of the internet. Well, how was it trained? So, so the problem with um, training on the internet is, is you have to have some kind of idea of how trustworthy the information is. Mm. Uh, and you also have to have an idea of uh, you know, whether it's hate speech or um, you know, something that we really don't want to mimic uh, within, a, within a, um, a large language model. So it was, um, and I don't know the exact details, but it was trained on sort of a corpus of documents mm. um, that uh, were given sort of a relative priority in terms of how important or accurate or uh, 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 salient they were, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, so it has, and this is one of the things that people need to understand, it's not, um, you know, it reflects a certain view of the world simply because of the documents uh, it was trained on. Now, if you talk to OpenAI, they will say, well, the problem is humans haven't created enough documents. Uh, it's this <laughs> lovely um, uh, conundrum that, uh, uh, you know, once OpenAI has fed in all the documents that it thinks are relevant, you know, how do you keep training it? Mm. Um, and, you know, perhaps... OpenAI could write some more documents to train OpenAI. Well, there's the danger there of OpenAI using incorrect information to then train itself on, which you see that reinforcement yeah. happen in that yeah. defamation case that occurred in the US, which was was fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it is interesting where the next bunch of data will come from. Mm. Can you explain to listeners what a prompt is? Yeah, so prompt, I guess, is taken over from code. Uh, so, so prompt is just the way you ask uh, a large language model uh, what you want it to do. Um, there's a sort of a term called prompt engineering mm. because uh, some prompts can be pages uh, in length. Um, so we have prompts, for example, Frankly AI, uh, that turns a large language model uh, into a personal brand uh, advisor. Uh, and the prompts that we set, give to, um, in this case, GPT-4, you know, probably run to about 30 or 40 lines. Wow. So it's a, I guess the key with prompts is that, is that there's, there's no syntax. You can literally just tell it uh, what you want to do. And and that's that's transformative because, you know, someone who's sitting, uh, you know, relatively uneducated in a, in a different part of the world, uh, as long as they can get the prompts right, uh, they can get access to the capabilities of a large language model just as well as I can. You don't have to get it right first time either. You can ask the question and then recut your prompt in subsequent iterations and then it can develop it almost itself in a way to give you an answer. Yeah. Uh, one of the prompts that's underused uh, is just uh, just to say try harder. And uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, in a large language model, it, it actually tries harder and it comes up with a better answer. I was trying it this morning, I said try harder. <laughs> and it came back to me and said, look, that's the best I can do. It's the first time I've actually, uh, actually had that come back to me. But yeah, people need to understand. I had another chat uh, at Becca. Uh, send me a message says, how do I get Frankly to review my report? And I said, just ask Frankly, review, can you please review my report? You know, so so this is the great thing about large yeah. language models. And, you know, the fact he spoke English was probably a, you know, a coincidence. Uh, he, could, he could equally have spoken, you know, one of hundreds of languages and it wouldn't have made any difference. Which is interesting, isn't it? The the fact that it is, it is multilingual straight off the bat. Mm-hmm. 
Look, to our listeners, do tune in again soon as we're covering risks and opportunities in generative AI in an upcoming podcast. Stay tuned for that, but it's absolutely a big point to cover off. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review, or follow the Tech Suite wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to receive new episodes directly in your inbox via our website at minterallison.co.nz.